exploring uh, what that looks like. And so, I mean, miraculously, all the songs this morning fit, fitted with what I'm about to preach. It was just like, like John and I had a conversation about it. Um, but, it's, uh, but what you might find is that some of the, there are some really key themes throughout this book of book, this letter that John writes uh, that keep repeating. All right. So some of the text is quite repetitive, and you kind of think, well, what are you trying to what are you trying to do, John? Are you trying to bore us to death here? He's not actually. He's just trying to drill in a point. Because I don't know about you. Um, if I hear it once, that's okay. But if I keep hearing a repeated message, it kind of begins to think, oh, this might just be important. So when Jesus says truly, truly, he's not just like trying to repeat himself for the sake of it. He's trying to emphasize a point that this is really, really important. I want you to hear it. And so John is grappling with, um, with some dissenters, those that have stepped away from it. They've formally stepped away. They're causing problems in the church. And, and so he's, he's addressing this issue. So that's why we're, we're driving in it. Not because we've got problems in the church, but we're, we're, we're trying to address this because actually we live in a world that would seek to try and distract us and to dilute what we truly believe. Yeah? And so that, that happens in subtle ways. Now, what, this is it's always interesting when we go down this line because it's like, are you just being a fundamentalist? No, actually, we've got to hold to our foundational truths of what we believe, but we can operate in kindness and love and grace because of the one in whom has set the boundaries. So the thing is, we don't get to determine the boundaries of our faith. It is, they're defined for us. And so as followers of Jesus, we step into that and we live accordingly. And so when we are in our workplaces, our spaces, our neighborhoods, wherever it is we find ourselves, we can, we can be true to who we are and still be kind and gentle and generous and, and, uh, and all those things that are, are true of who Jesus is and of who we are. So the key themes um, that I, I've picked up repeatedly are this call and this beckoning to love others, to, to know God loves us. Uh, to abide in God and God in us. These are, these are themes that John um, embeds throughout his writing. So if you've read the Gospel of John and the letters of John, you'll see that he's, he's, he's picking up on these key themes because they're really important to him. So that's, kind of, that's where we are. So we're going to be in, in chapter 4 this week. And I'm going to read from verse 7 and down through to 21. And I'm going to, I'm going to try and get this... Um, I'm not going to say it, um, because this is, it's always dangerous when a preacher tries to give you time when they're going to finish by, isn't it? Um, so, but I, there are a couple of questions that I want us to ask. Is how do we know that God loves us? Okay, what does John tell us about how we can know that God loves us? And how do we know that we abide in him and he in us? I don't know about you, that's, that, I think they're kind of quite key important, uh, important themes, important questions to ask. How do we truly know that God loves us? Because sometimes I don't feel it. There are, there are moments, I, I'm, not, you know, I'm not saying I don't have emotion, I do have emotion. You'll, you've seen me be emotional, you've seen me. But I'm not generally moved by emotion. So how do I know that God loves me? And how do I know that I abide in him? And I think John, John really does give us some practical insights as to how we can know this to be true. Because I think when we understand it, not just with an intellect, but in the depth of our being, it's radically transformative. It changes everything. It gives us a level of security in life and for eternity that we, can't, we cannot attain by our own effort or understanding. 
And so let me read it. Now, I introduced you last week, my glasses. I need them now for reading, uh, more than I've ever done. Thank you. Who was that? Who was that? My co-pastor. There we go. There we go. All right, so I'm getting my glasses on. I don't know. You t- I tell you what, we come out of an official church building. There's hilarity. What's all that about? Come on. Come on. Right. Okay. So, here we go. Dear friends, let us love one another because love is from God. And everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. The one who does not, uh, uh, one who does not love does not know God because God is love. God's love was revealed uh, among us in this way. God sent his one and only son into the world so that we might live through him. Love consists in this, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Dear friends, if God loved us in this way, we must also love one another. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God remains in us and his love is made complete in us. This is how we know that we remain in him and he in us. He has given us his spirit and we have seen and testified that the father has, has sent his son as the, as the world's savior. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the son of God, God remains in him and he in God. And we have come to know and to believe the love that God has for us. God is love. And the one who remains in love remains in God and God remains in him. In this, love is made complete with us so that we may have confidence in the day of judgment because he, uh, because as he is, so also are we in this world. There is no fear in love. Instead, perfect love drives out fear because fear involves punishment. So the one who fears is not complete in love. We love because he first loved us. If anyone says, I love God, and yet hates his brother or sister, he is a liar. For the person who does not love his brother or sister whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. And we have this commandment from him. The one who loves God must also love his brother and sister. I don't know about you, but I've read read that a number of times, and each time I'm I'm pausing at various moments thinking, oh, that's quite a powerful statement John that's quite a, a, a quite quite powerful and quite insightful and also quite challenging it's quite provocative he doesn't I think I said last week he doesn't pull his punches when it comes to proclaiming truth and 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 outlining who we are who God is and who we are and how we are meant to behave so how do we know that God loves us how do we not just take the fact but how do we experience the reality of God's love for us because fact is one thing So there are some facts that John gives us in verses uh, 9 and 10. He says this. um, Now, I'd love to be able to work it, actually love to be able to work this through verse by verse. But if we were to do verse by verse, we would be here until Jesus does return. (laughs) And um, and so that's not the point of this. The point isn't, sorry? Is that one, one, did you say that's one o'clock? Do you know what? I like this new venue. Um, do you know? Um, so, so that's not the point of this because we are setting the, the scene of 
What does it look like for us to live in an upward relationship with God, between God and us, and then actually how does it impact our horizontal um, relationships one with another? So love for God has to impact what we do and who we are. Um, but we cannot do that unless we rightly understand why is it and how is it that God actually loves us? You see, because it isn't, it isn't a feeling, an emotional, mushy kind of love that is poured out upon us. You know, that kind of romantic love that we, we so love, apparently. Do. So how many films have been made of romantic love? Too many. <laughs> Loads, right? But that, so that's, it's not that that isn't an important aspect of love. But what we are, but what we are saying is that God's, God's love is demonstrative. First and foremost, he demonstrates his love for us. That while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. It wasn't driven by emotion, it was driven by a decision. So he made a decision that in his in his God in sending his son was making an informed decision. This is the only way I am able to demonstrate my love for the world in which I created. Through sending my only son. My only begotten son. Now, Jesus, the word of God has always existed. There has never been a point in all eternity when he has not been. So when Jesus is sent, he is sent. We, we celebrate that at the Christmas story, didn't we? The, the incarnation of God coming and walking among us, tabernacling among us. And so he takes on flesh, fully God and fully man. And, and so God sending his son Jesus was a, was a deliberate act, a decision he made in order that you and I might understand that this God who created us, the God who is beyond comprehension, has made himself known to us in the person of Jesus. He's demonstrating his love. So what does it say in verses 9 and 10? God, um, God's love was revealed among us in this way. God sent his one and only son into the world so that we might live through him. Love consists of this, not that we loved God, but he loved us and sent his son to be atoning sacrifice for our sins. So how do we know that God loves us? Well, we, we know that he loves us because he wasn't acting according to our goodness. He wasn't acting in response to our love for him. Because we were distant from him, we were set apart from him, we were rebelling against him. That's the whole of humanity was in rebellion against God and his ways. Aren't you glad you came this morning? But this is really important because we've got to understand that it, God didn't do it in response to our, our desire, our longing to be loved. In fact, we were, we were, humanity was happy in its ignorance, making its own choices, doing its own thing, being its own king, being its own law, being its own queen, whatever it is, to make choices determined upon what we think is right or feel is right. But God demonstrates his love for us is that while we were far off, not, not, not wanting to know him, he stepped into his world, into his creation to be the savior and redeemer, not just of a few, but so that many, so that the many could experience and know his love. And this morning, if you're, if you're a follower of Jesus, if you, if you have said, do you know what? I, I believe this. And we're going to get to the confession in a minute. You are, you are, you are in his family. 
If you've received Jesus, and we're going to, we'll, we'll, we'll just get to that in a moment. But if you've received him, then this is the reality that we live from. That we are his, that we are loved by him. And that we can receive his love. The thing is, God, God loves his creation. Doesn't he? He loves his creation. He loves the people that are out there on the sidelines of, that, of the football match that's going on between the, you know, whatever teams that are playing. He loves the people that in your life, in your environment, in your neighborhood, your workplaces that are far from him. And he loves them. But they're not in receipt of his love. It doesn't mean to say that they can't do loving things or kind things or gracious things. I'm sure you know some really loving people who aren't yet followers of Jesus. But it's, it's somehow not complete. Doesn't mean to say that they're not they're not nice people. Doesn't mean some are capable of loving acts because I know some really nice people who aren't Christians who actually put some Christians to shame. Or supposed Christians to shame. Because I think this is really important. The way that we behave and the way that we act does reflect the God in whom we serve. And so the the, the the outpouring of God's love is, the, is transformative. So we have a fact, a factual basis to understand God's love for us. If you believe the death, resurrection of Jesus, that it happened, that he died and he rose again, and he did it for your sin and my sin, we, we can have a factual basis for our understanding that God loves us. Fact. It happened. No amount of our belief or unbelief will change that. It happened and it's true. So our feelings don't determine whether it's true or not. It's true. Okay. So our feelings are fickle. We, 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 are, we are sometimes so driven by our feelings. I don't feel it, so therefore it can't be true. And therefore I, 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 you get, we get swept along with our tide of emotions and feelings. Now I'm not feelings and emotions bashing because actually I think they're really important I think that they they indicate that something's going on I think that they're prompted I think we can use those as a means through which we can come to God and express those and allow him to to work in them so I'm not I'm not saying that feelings aren't important I'm just saying that actually the basis of our understanding that God loves us is that he has done it that he did this fact but our, our but if we can't just rem, it can't just remain as a fact there has to be a lived experience of this, where we, we know it to be true. Not just in our knower, but in, our, in the depth of our being, it sinks. And we go, ah, this, this is true. You just know in your knower, don't you? And you can't, you can't, it's hard to measure it. It's hard to gauge it. It's hard to qualify it. But when you've experienced it, you just know it to be true. Because it's based upon what Christ has done for us. And, you re- and we receive it by faith. We don't earn it. We don't achieve it. In our own effort or striving, we receive it. All the way through John's letters, actually, letter and his gospel, it's receive it and believe it believe it and receive it it's constant words that he uses it is a received gift therefore we can experience it 
so there's the factual, we know it, we've ex we can experience it in various ways, but we experience it through that reception, receiving of salvation, being born again, being made new in the inner part, and our life then begins to be shaped by the understanding of who God is, um, because we are, the old has gone and the new has come. So there's something happens in our, in our spirit that brings a transformation and change. And so the final thing I want to say on this point is that God is love. Okay, so all of his activity, all that he does is driven by his, his character, which is love. But not all love is divine. Okay, so not all love is divine. God is love and every action that he carries out is driven by his love for his creation. But it's the, it is who he is. So, you know, we talk about the justice of God. He is fully just and he is fully love. He is fully gracious and he's fully compassionate. He's all of those things. He's not just a part of those things. That's why he is completely trustworthy. So when he says that anybody who puts their faith in me, their belief in me, their trust in me shall receive eternal life, we can trust him. Because he's fully trustworthy. Okay, so let's move on. So how do we know that we abide in him and he in us? Okay, well, there are five things that I am going to rattle through uh, in the next few minutes. Five things that I think John helps us to understand um, and grapple with as, as, uh, as evidences of knowing that we abide in him and he in us. I love this, that it isn't just one way. Isn't just oh yeah we're we're in God but he does he's not going to pour out himself or it's just we're all in God and therefore you know it's it is it is this two way partnership and flow between God whom we we cannot even begin to comprehend the fullness of who he is and yet he invites us to know him and to be known by him now. Jesus is the very revelation of him. So as we explore Jesus, get to know Jesus and his character and his ways are, 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 are worked out in our, as we walk with him, then we, we can grow in our understanding of who he is. I don't know about you, but my, my understanding of who Jesus is, who God is, is, is different to those first early days of walking with him. And I'm looking around there, I'm looking for a few nods. It, ho hopefully that is true. That as you walk with him, your understanding of who he is grows. But not in a way that we can go, oh, nailed it. Because there's always something more that we can discover about him. And he reveals himself to us as we pursue him. So how can we know? How can we know that, he abides in, that we abide in him and he abides in us? Well, the first thing is this. In verse 13, he says... Uh, uh, let me see. Uh, this is how we know that we remain in him and he in us. He has given us his spirit. In this instance, it's all him. It's his act. It's his work. It's, 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 it's God who pours out his spirit into our hearts so that we can bear, our spirit can bear witness with his spirit that we are children of God. There's a whole stack of scriptures, um, but I read this from John, uh, John 7. He says, on, on the last and most important day of the festival, Jesus stood up and cried out, If anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. 
The one who believes in me, as the scripture has said, will have streams of living water from deep within. Streams of living water is referencing the spirit. He said this about the spirit. Those who believe in Jesus were going to receive the spirit for the spirit had not yet been given because Jesus had not yet been glorified. He's pointing out and pointing to that one day the spirit will be poured out upon all flesh. That you and I can receive the spirit and from, from within life it's what John, John writes that earlier in the, in the passage he says this is life life through him so when the spirit is residing in us then our take on life is different we begin to view the world differently because the spirit is at work within us we begin to see the people around us differently because the spirit is at work within us we, his spirit bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God he does it. The second thing is this, is it brings us into an experience. Seen and testify. This is what God does to us. See, when God sends his own living word, so this is Hans Urs von Balthazar. <laughs> Balthazar, well remembered. <laughs> when God sent his own, own living word in uh, to, word to his creatures he does so not to inform them about the mysteries of the world not primarily to fulfill their deepest needs and yearnings rather he communicates and actively demonstrates such unheard of things that men uh, men feel not satisfied but awestruck by the love which he could which he could never have hoped to experience god does it brings us into an experience where we know that we know, that we just know that this is true and that he lives in us. And we experience him in different ways. And sometimes that's in a meeting. Sometimes that might be in a, in a quiet space. Sometimes that might be on a walk as you're walking with him. Sometimes it's just, you just know it. And it's not even about a particular event as if, oh, we need to get to that other experience. I don't know, I've been in meeting, if, you, if you've been in Pentecostal stream any, any length of time, you'll have no doubt been to meetings where it seems like it's all kicking off. And you're stood there like that. Is that, is that, yeah? You're like, oh, everybody else looks like they're having a great time. But if we measure our experience based upon those environments, we'll always be seeking out the next experience. Rather than simply saying, I know this to be true. And this is my daily lived experience, whether it's in the, in the, meeting of, the moment of meeting with him in a meeting, or whether it's in the quiet time of my devotions, or whether it's when I'm doing the dishes, or when Rachel's asking me to do a chore that I don't really want to do. But I'm going to say yes, eventually. <laughs> I'm going to say yes, because that's a loving and right thing to do. Because I've experienced that this isn't about, this love isn't about me is not selfish it's not self-centered it is about something other and the experience brings us into that place third thing is this the confession how do we know how do we know how do we know that we abide in him and he in us well uh, verse 15 and 16 says this whoever confesses that jesus is the son of god god remains in him and he in god and we have come to know and to believe uh, the love that God has for us. God is love. We talked about that earlier. And the one who remains in love remains in God and God remains in him. The confession 
of our mouth is hugely important to what goes on in our heart. Because Romans 10, 9 and 10 says, if you confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that God, that God raised him from there, you shall be saved. There's a confession element to who we are as a confessing people. And so it's really important, I think, as part of our journey with Jesus is that we, we allow the Spirit of God to work in us in such a way that enables us to confess that which is true. Because we can do no other. So if we are in him, then our confession will be, Jesus, you are the Son of God. Now, within that, this is, this, he's drilling down into the, the uniqueness of Jesus. There's so much there about who Jesus is as a person and as, as God, that John, to his readers, they would understand what he's trying to say. All right, so this confession of Jesus is that he is absolutely unique, and he, he was and is the only one who is able to bring us into that restored relationship with God. Because he is the savior of the world, we are not. And so there's a confession element that enables us to grow in that confidence that I am in him and he in me. Because I'm confessing that I need him more than anything. But he invites me to be with him. So it's not, again, it's not just a one-way thing. Well, yeah, poor little Ian. Although, actually, there is poor little Ian. But he invites us and pours out his love in such a grace that I go, yes, God, I, I've received your forgiveness and your grace. And so therefore, I'm going to not just be poor little Ian anymore. I'm going to be your child, a child of God. I am a son of the king. And therefore, I can live and know that I abide in him and he in me. And it changes everything. So confess. Confession of who he is is a really important part of our witness to abiding in him and he in us. And then the fruit of it is to know and to believe. Which goes on in, in those uh, verses there. Okay, number four, um, a co the confidence. Okay, we get a, an increasing confidence in verse 17. It says this. Uh, it, it, in this, love is made complete with us so that we may have confidence in the day of judgment because he is, um, because as he is, so are we in this world. Okay, so the confidence that we have is not, not that everything's going to be okay in this world, right? Not that everything's going to pan out like we think it might be, and it's, just going, to be, it's going to be an easy, easy ride. No, we have confidence in who Jesus is, his death, resurrection, and that one day he says that all things will be made new, and so therefore our hope is in Jesus. This is what N.T. Wright says. He says, the solid facts about the future hope of Christians are a powerful motivation for constant faith and costly love. Secure because of Jesus and his work. That one day he will, he will return as the judge of all things. So the scriptures are quite clear about that. That he will judge the living and the dead. He is the righteous judge. He is the, one, the only one who can judge rightly and fairly and justly. But for those of us who are in Christ Jesus, this is the confidence that we have is that we don't need to fear that day. We don't need to fear punishment and judgment. Because why? Well, he's our atoning sacrifice. So if you jump back into earlier in the passage, that when we believe the gospel, what we're actually doing is saying, Jesus, I believe that you took all that was rightfully mine away. I could stand before you judge. Even, even if it was just simply taking that tic-tac from another child's packed lunch. As an act of theft. 
It was a confession. <laughs> because, because according to the law, does it, whatever, the law of God, the law of the land, if you take something that's not yours, what is it? Theft. So you are therefore rightly be called a sinner, marked, stained. What Jesus is saying is that I, and Jesus took the sin of the world, took your sin, my sin, upon himself for the, the smallest thing you've done or the, the most horrific thing that you've done. Jesus has taken it all. And so therefore we can have confidence but the confidence comes is that one day we, we'll stand before him. We have hope that we'll not be judged. But also I think it gives, breeds a confidence in the here and the now. Go, that is my past. That has been done. That is nailed. So therefore my identity is now shifted because I'm no longer that. I am this. I am a child of God. That's what he says. It's who we are. If you go back into chapter 3, who we are. So the, the confidence comes because of Jesus. His death and resurrection. And number four, uh, number five, sorry, the command. This is, uh, this is the command that is the theme that runs throughout the letter. That if we truly want to understand all the context of all that I've said about how, knowing how we abide in, in him and him in us, it's, it's lived out in the practical demonstration of our love for one another. See, he says that you cannot, you cannot say that you love God and not love one another. Now, how do we understand what love is? Well, I think love is described quite well in 1 Corinthians 13. It's often read at weddings, but um, we'll not go there. And if I give away all my possessions, and if I give over my body in order to boast, but do not have love, I gain nothing. Love is patient. Love is is kind. Love does not envy, is not boastful, is not arrogant, is not rude, is not self-seeking, is not irritable, does not keep a record of wrongs. Love finds no joy in unrighteousness but rejoices in the truth. Love, this is what love looks like, bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things love never ends so love then is about demonstration it is about understanding other people's needs desires wants pain stepping into it not for our sake not for our uh, our our um, uh, our satisfaction, but to step into it, and how do we how do we love one another in a way that is demonstrating those things that says so this is what love is, bear all things. So the person that irritates you, really gets on your nerves. Nobody in here, of course, but your family members or your work colleagues or people who you just kind of go, oh. how how then do we begin to demonstrate an attitude, not just to put up with, but to really demonstrate a loving at heart that is driven by do you know what God you probably found me really irritating you probably found me really annoying and yet you came for me anyway and you pour out your love upon me anyway so therefore I, how, can, how can I think about another person who's made in your image dearly loved by you in a way that doesn't reflect who I truly am 
And so the whole list of what love isn't, but those four things of what love is, I think it's summed up and seen in the cross of Christ. When we didn't deserve it, he gave himself for us so that you and I might be made new, so that you and I might be forgiven, so that you and I might have hope. Love is costly and sacrificial. And if it does, so if it doesn't cost us anything, does it really reflect the kind of love that we've received? Or is our, is our love self-serving and self-seeking? Does it, does it satisfy our own desires? By the way, I'm not saying that our own, we don't have needs. We all have needs. We all have desires. We all have longings of our hearts which are right and appropriate. But within the context of a, a Christian community, a context of, 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 of a loving God, it's how do we live a life of love for others so that actually others may love us? Because if, if, you are, if we're self-serving and self-seeking, it doesn't give much space for anybody else. Because it's about me, me, me. But if we live a life that is given to others, a life that is, is demonstrating his mercy and his kindness, actually gives loads of space for, for God to pour out his love through the, con, through the Christian community of which we're a part. And beyond. You know, this is amazing. It's incredible what God does. But this all comes down to this point of, how do, we, how do we know it? Well, we know it because it's true. We know what Jesus has done, and we get to live out of that in lived experience, allowing God's life and his love to transform us in a way that is, is demonstrated to others within the context of community. And John is addressing a, a, a church that is being ripped apart by people who, say, who proclaim to love God but are not demonstrating love for others. And he's saying, don't let that be you. Don't let that be you. Love one another. Whatever that might look like, love one another. Shall we pray? Father, I thank you for your, uh, your grace that covers us, that sustains us, that allows us to breathe deeply of your, of your magnificent, glorious, majestic love that is incomprehensible and, and beyond, beyond anything that we're ever able to experience in, in humanly t- human terms. And yet you, you, you pour out your love into our hearts that transforms us, shapes us, and changes us. So Lord, help us this week to walk like the truth, the truth the reality of the reality that we are abiding in you and that you are in us. May it change the way that we view the people around us this week. Give us opportunities, Jesus, to demonstrate, um, demonstrate love to others in real practical terms, whether that's work colleagues or neighbours or whoever it is that we come into contact with. Let us have a posture, Lord, uh, Lord of loving one another within our community of faith and beyond the community of faith. That those in the community of faith may know that they are a part of something so great, much greater than uh, can be dreamed up in human, with human imagination. It transcends what is. And may those that are beyond the Christian community, may they see something in us that bears witness that we are yours. 
that we are truly yours. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.